Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to see everybody. Welcome to Holly Springs. My name's Clint. Um, guys, we're really excited that you're here with us. If you're visiting with us here today, where we are really excited to be able to worship with you. Today, we're going to be able to worship God. We're going to be able to hear God's word be preached. And we're going to be able to just do this as a family and believers. Guys, we're really a close-knit group here. Uh, there's some people I feel like uh, know each other, talk to the same people every single week. I'm asking for all my members, say hi to every single person you see. Um, for people who are new, I know it's hard to kind of reach out, but I guarantee you these people are really, really friendly. Um, if you ever let them cook you a meal, you will be happy with that meal that's cooked. I promise you that. Um, you see here, as this week has gone by, we've actually... Uh, able to get a lot of things done. Um, Greg has actually got so much done. Um, he's gotten all the trim made out and all the things. We just got the rock in. Hopefully this week we'll be able to get the rock and get everything fixed here in the, uh, the front and we're able to trim out the rest and we hope to be done and we know that we're going to be done by August 15th because we hope to celebrate this wonderful room that God has blessed us with and all the things. But here's the deal. The church, it's not about the building. It's not about the room. It's about the people in this room. And so this and you are the church. So let's pray before we start. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for how good you are. That God, no matter what happens, good or bad, that you're in control. And God, we believe that you are the one that we can serve, that we can, that we can trust. God, I pray, Lord, that we would praise you, that we would give you all the praise and all the glory that you deserve. And God, I pray, Lord, that the songs that we sing can be good to your ear. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we can be able to preach the word with authority and truth and that people would leave here changed, but they would be changed through the week, that we are being sanctified day by day, that it's not something that's being done quickly over time, but it's being done day by day. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would trust you, we would put our hope in you, and that we would believe in you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we can be able to come together now as a church and just worship. Amen. We ask that you would stand. We invite you to step into worship with us. We serve a God who we can sing to, and we serve a God who is not dormant, he's not dead, and he's not distant, he's near. And so we ask that, or he asks us to come and be near to him. Let's sing, I Stand Amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned. our sins he took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own he bore the 
suffered and died alone. We're singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall singing faith right here. Yeah. 
together Broken peace. 
Bellick is going to pray for us before our children are dismissed to Children's Church this morning. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this world. And God, help those ones that are out there that are being sick and help them feel better. And Lord, thank you for letting us be able to come to church today together and worship you. Lord, thank you for our friends, our family. Thank you for giving us a roof over our heads. Thank you for our animals and plants. Thank you for everything you've done for us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad you came this morning? So we're thankful Cherry and his brother are here with us this morning playing the piano and the flute. So we're grateful for that. Kind of a surprise visit that they uh, let us know about just on Friday. And so uh, we uh, got them involved. And uh, they probably wanted a break, but we said, no, you don't get a break when you come here. You got to work. So uh, lots of new things going on. Clint pointed out some new things already. Uh, this is a new... Uh, table for me to preach off of. It's higher. And I wasn't sure I would like it. In fact, I wasn't sure it was going to work. And uh, Clint said, no, it's perfect. And I said, what do you mean it's perfect? And he said, 
Well, with that other table that's lower, when you go to read the Bible or do something, you bend down and the glare is awful <laughs> off the top of your head. So I went, oh, that's a great reason to have this in. So anyhow, this is one of the new things. You see the screens, you see the scaffold, uh, the unapproved, un-OSHA scaffold that we have up there. Uh, the scaffold is not tall enough to do what we need to do. So you see the uh, blocks that we've put on top to make it taller that your preacher was standing on along with Greg uh, on Thursday, and we were doing a lot of praying when we were doing that. So we're getting closer and closer, and I'm excited for us to be able to celebrate on the 15th. I hope you'll be here, and I hope you'll uh, get your friends to come and be a part of this if they don't go to church somewhere as we celebrate, we're trying to invite some people who uh, have not been here in a while or, or were here at the beginning but have moved or anything else. We want them all to be able to come back and celebrate what God has done in our sanctuary. If you have your Bibles, will you grab them? We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians like we talked about last week as I share with you the last sermon in the series, sermon 13 in the series, Countering the Culture. It's the last one this morning that I'm going to share with you. Uh, last week, I, sh I shared with you about hope. This is another sermon on hope. I, I want to go out with this thing two weeks talking to you about hope. In fact, so much hope I want you to have that I'm not even going to give you an illustration of how the culture is attacking us now because it just seems to ruin any hope that you think you might have. But we have hope, and I want to talk to you about that hope. If you look in your Bible at 2 Corinthians, the 4th, chapter, the 16th verse. We're going to look at that, but let me remind you that we looked at it last week and we talked about how Paul had wrote this church uh, in Corinth and he was speaking to them and he was in a bad place in his life, or I should say he was in bad positions in his life. There's a tendency to think Paul was this evangelist that went around the world preaching the gospel and never suffered any ill because he's uh, kind of the evangelists that we would all think of like today. You know, they go around maybe and, and they travel and they, they have such a good time and nobody necessarily is confronting them. That's not true at all of even what goes on today, but it certainly wasn't true of what happened in Paul's time. You know, he spent time, I told you last week, about being beaten 39 times with, with a whip several times in his life, and 39 uh, was considered one less whipping than 40, which would have been equal to death. They always considered 40 whippings with a lash to be equal to death. Well, Paul was whipped 39 times, multiple times in his life. He spent time in jail. He spent time shipwrecked. He spent time away from any kind of a normal life that you and I would expect. And yet you would think that he would be discouraged, but that's not true. The first thing he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 is, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Remember, I told you that last week, that if you're going to find encouragement in everything that's going on in the world that's around you, that the first thing you have to put into practice is exactly what's, what Paul says to us here, is don't lose your heart. Don't give up on what you know is the good in who Jesus is in your life and what he can do for you no matter what's going on in your life. And even though your body is, is temporary and, it, and it's fading and, and you're losing it, it, it says it here in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 16, it says, therefore we do not lose heart. But then right after that he says, outwardly we are wasting away. 
yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's the distinction that Paul wants you to have. He says, look, we know that you're struggling. We know that you have issues. We know that you have troubles. He's saying that to the church at Corinth, and he could just as easily be saying it to the church at Holly Springs today. He said he can say to us, we know that your life is difficult. We know that your life is hard, and we know that your outward body is wasting away. Just this past week, we spent time in prayer for several different people who were having physical ailments, who, who are struggling. We have a, a very good friend and church family member who's in the hospital in the woodlands that we've been praying for, and, and she's been struggling. And I, I thought about this verse. I thought about how her body is outwardly wasting away. And she's getting better, and, and the Lord's beginning to improve her through all the health benefits she's receiving from being in the hospital. But the truth is that she's aging, and her body is wasting away. It's just the same for you. It's just the same for me. Our bodies are wasting away. But Paul says you don't have to lose heart over that. But one of the things you can do, even with your body wasting away, is you can renew your minds day by day. And that's the thing that we talked about last week. We talked about don't lose your heart and do that by renewing your mind day after day. So today we're going to continue through this scripture. We're going to relook at 16 like we just did, but we're going to go through 17 and 18 too. And I want to share with you some things that Paul says to this church at Corinth that bring them hope, just like I hope it brings you hope and brings me hope here at Holly Springs. As we do that, but, and before we do that, let me tell you something that happened to me this past week. I had the, the privilege of going to the eye doctor this past week, and I say privilege because it really is a privilege that we have so many qualified physicians that can help us. Um, I didn't realize it, uh, but... It had been 10 years since I had been to the eye doctor. Uh, that's not good. Uh, the doctor doesn't like that. They, it's Dr. Saldana who goes to our church, and he's a very good friend and, and a very trusted physician. I, I really love him, but he, he got mad at me. <laughs> and I was embarrassed because I didn't realize it had been that long. You know, that's one of the things when your body's aging, you kind of think that, you know, a couple of years, it's just a couple of years since I went to the eye doctor. I told Laura, I said, I haven't been to the eye doctor in like four years. I need to go and get my eyes checked. And I walked in and he said, we have burned your records because you have not been here in so long. And I went, what? And he said, it's been 10 years since you've been here. He said, we've gone to electronic records. We threw all yours in the dumpster fire. And I went, oh my goodness. And he said, we don't even know what your prescription is on your glasses. We're going to have to figure this all out again. And I said, I am so sorry. I said, I really thought it had only been a few years. I started thinking about how mad my mom would be at me. You know, it's kind of like Dr. Saldana was chewing me out, and I kind of thought, well, that's exactly what my mom would have done. She would have chewed me out, too. Because my mom was a nurse, and, and she knew the importance of going to all the doctors, you know, the go to your doctor and get a, a, you know, a health checkup, go to the dentist and, and get your teeth checked up, go to the eye doctor and get your eyes checked. My, my cousin is an eye doctor, and he would be so mad. I hope Laura doesn't call him and tell him how bad I've been. The last time I went to the dentist, uh, and I take it back, so the last time before I started being good again about going to the dentist 
So I go every six months now and get my teeth clean. But there was a time period, probably when I was about 50, when I didn't go to the dentist for a while. And I walked into the dentist and sat down in the chair. It's just like being at Dr. Saldana's. He said, I think you're confused. And I said, what? And he said, I think you're confused. And I said, confused about what? And he said, I think you're confused that you think you're supposed to come every six years. And it's really every six months. And I went, oh, how long has it been since I've been here? And he said, six years. And I went, oh, no. And he said, we're going to have to clean your teeth. And he said, it's a different kind of cleaning. And I said, what kind of cleaning do you do for somebody that's not been here in six years? And he said, we call it industrial cleaning. And I went, oh, jeez. So now I go every six months to the dentist, and I've been really good about that. I'm going every year and getting a physical, and now I'm going to have to change how often I go to the eye doctor. Uh, we're going to have to do it. The reason I'm telling you all that is because I want you to see what it says in verse 17 and 18. In verse 17, it says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So here's Paul, and he's saying, first of all, don't lose your heart. And second of all, renew your mind day by day. And he says, here's why you can do that. Because what's going on in your life and my life is just momentary. Even though it, it seems like a long time, it's just momentary. In fact, as you age, it becomes more and more understandable how momentary this life is becoming. Because what I thought was just a few years since I had been to the eye doctor had really been 10 years. And all of you who are aging kind of understand that. I mean, it just seems like everything just is moving like that. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I don't know what your troubles are, but let me tell you something. Your troubles are just momentary compared to what's going to be waiting for you and the eternal glory that's ahead. Now look at verse 18. Why the story about the eye doctor? Listen to this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, what's eternal. So what do you have to do to have hope? How, how can you and I grab hope in the midst of everything that's changing in the culture around us? Well, Paul gives you the prescription that you need to have hope. He says right here, what are you fixing your eyes on? Now, let me ask you, just for a second. Let, let's talk about this just for a second. What are you fixing your eyes on? I remember when I was growing up, some of you guys that are my age or maybe a little bit younger, especially if you're my age or a little bit older, you know, we started off kind of with black and white TVs and then in the 60s, you know, it kind of changed to color TVs. And I grew up in Houston. We had three TV stations, you know, ABC, NBC, and CBS. That was the only options we had. And then they added some kind of a 57 TV station or a 62. It was an ultra high frequency channel. And so we added a fourth channel. We all thought we were just in, you know, high cotton because we had a fourth TV station. You know, now you have 8,000 options. Everybody who's like 40 and below doesn't understand anything I'm talking about. I get all that. But let me tell you what my mom used to say to people like me who would come home after school and we would sit in front of the black and white TV or maybe your family had 
gotten that color TV and you were sitting in front of it and staring at it, she would say this. Everybody who's my age, around my age, has heard this before. Quit staring at that TV or you're going to go blind. That's what they used to say to us. And the truth is, you, you do kind of struggle with your eyesight. In fact, experts have, have told us, I haven't asked Dr. Saldana this, but experts say that now with all the staring that we're doing at computer screens and phone screens and you know, everything we have is a, is a screen now. We're in front of screens all day long. They say that you need to employ this rule called the 20-20-20 rule. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. I'd never heard of it until I started working on this sermon and I found this out. They say every 20 minutes that you stare at a screen, you need to take 20 seconds and stare at something that's 20 feet away. So if you're sitting at your computer screen like I do, you go type in a sermon, and you're working at your job, or you're you know, posting on Facebook for 20 minutes. I don't know what crazy things you're doing. I, you know, we're, we're doing all that. And if you do it for 20 minutes, the experts say that you should take 20 seconds and look at something like the wall that's 20 feet away and, and just kind of focus on it for a while. And what they say that that does, they say it resets your vision. They say it, it, it keeps your eyes where they're healthy and where they're working good, and, and it completely resets your vision so that you can go back to what you were doing before. I don't know. I, I haven't never done it before. I started doing it this week after I kind of read that. I started thinking about it, and I, I noticed that it really did kind of help me. I didn't tell you this but when I went to the eye doctor. He, he started doing, you know, that stuff that they do. I, I, I never have underfan. Is this better or is this better? Three or six, seven or nine, 12 or four. You know, he was doing that and I was going, I'm trying to remember what he just said and I can't remember that. And he's flipping through deals. But you're, you're doing all that and what he's trying to do is it gets your focus better and, when, when, and, and find out what lens works best for you. And when he got finished, he, he looked at me and he said, your eyesight's gotten better. And I went, what? Because that's not supposed to happen. I said, let me show you my arm where it's falling apart right here, like I told you about last. You know? And we, we started talking, and he said, well, it's not a lot better, but it is just a, a tiny bit better. And you know, when you sat in front of that machine, unless you're bad and you hadn't been to the eye doctor in 10 or 20 years like I have, but when you sit in front of that machine and they finally get you where you want to be, and they've got the lenses that he wants to put in your glasses, and then he throws that eye chart up on the wall, and I don't know about you, but my reaction is typically, oh, my gosh, it's so clear. And he said, can you read that? And I'm telling you, the, the, the letters were tiny. And I went, Z-V-D-N-O. And he went, that's right. I went, that is so incredible that my vision now has focused so sharp that I can see that. And I started thinking how incredible it is that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is on the unseen, what is waiting for us, what is that eternal glory that's ahead of us. That word fix, so we fix our eyes. That word fix, really, if you look at it, it's... In, in, in the Greek, it's a word that we would more uh, closely understand to be focus. So we 
not, not fix, which fix is that understanding of you get stuck there. Focus is that understanding of you, you're bringing it, it in to perspective to where you can see it and realize that's everything that matters to you. It, it may sound kind of odd, but I really want you to understand that when the scripture says, so we fix our eyes on Jesus, I really think the better word is we focus our eyes on Jesus. Because if you think about it, if you fix your eyes on Jesus and don't look at anything else, I don't think that's what the Lord wants for us. But I think what the Lord wants for us is to focus our eyes on Him so that we see Him and see everything around us that He wants us to be involved in, how He wants us to take care of the kingdom. I started thinking about this word the other day when I was studying. I started looking at it, it says, so we fix, and I started thinking about you know, it's real close to the word that we all love that's not in the dictionary. Fixin'. You know, that's that East Texas slang that we all get into. I'm fixing to go do this or fixing to go do that. And if you say that to anybody from the north, they look at you and like, what does that mean? And you and I know what it means. It means that we are getting ready to do something and, and I thought about that. I thought about what Paul is really saying to the church here at Corinth. Is he says, you really need to get ready to do this. As you're aging through your life, and as you realize that your body is not what it used to be, and as you realize that you're only here for a moment, you need to be fixing to get your eyes on Jesus as the most important thing in your life. And when you get ready to do that, everything is going to change. I thought about what would happen if you got up every morning, I got up every morning and say, okay, who am I fixing to put my eyes on this morning? You know, I, I, I know you, I mean, you're not any different than me. I mean, I get up some mornings and I'm fixing to put my eyes on, you know, what do I have to do at the church this morning or you know, do I have to go to the doctor this morning? I'm fixing to put my eyes on that, or I'm fixing to put my eyes on the fact that we haven't paid our credit card bill and, and it's due today, or I'm fixing to put my eyes on, you know, that I wasn't really kind to Laura yesterday, so I probably need to get that part of my life figured out. And really, the first thing when I step out of bed in the morning, I just need to say, Jesus, I'm fixing to put my eyes on you. And if you'll just guide me through the rest of the day, I know that I'm going to accomplish the things that I need to accomplish. Look, in the book of Hebrews, the author is talking about Moses' courage in leading the people out of Israel. And listen to what he says. This is in Hebrews. It's the 11th chapter, the 27th verse. It says, he persevered. He's talking about Moses leading the people and it says, Moses, or he, persevered because he saw him who was invisible. And then a few verses later, he writes the very famous words that we all know. Let us fix our eyes 
on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You didn't know it, did you? I mean, I didn't know it. You may have known it. But the scripture talks a lot about who are you focusing your eyes on. It's not just here in Corinthians. It's in Hebrews. You find it all through the scripture where it says, where are your eyes fixed? Who are you looking at? And if you want to have hope, if you seriously want to have hope in the midst of all this crazy world that's surrounding us, the key to it is, is who are you looking at? You know, when, when I got married, I changed who I looked at. Before I got married, I was looking at lots of different people in lots of different settings. I mean, there was, I would walk into a place and there would be girls there and I would look at those girls because I was single and I was looking for somebody to spend my life with. And so as I visited churches or as I was in college classes and people came in to sit down, you know, my eyes were kind of all over the place, just like any normal red-blooded American male's eyes would be. But when I got married, I began to fix my eyes on the one that I chose to spend the rest of my life with. Now take that and multiply that times infinity from the standpoint of what Christ has done for you and what he's done for me. And he says, quit looking at the world. Quit looking at all the troubles that are in the world and fix your eyes on me. I'm the author of your faith. I was there at the beginning and I'll be there at the end. And these momentary afflictions that are happening in your life and these struggles that you see in the world around you, they're just for an infinite moment compared to what I have prepared for you in glory. Man, that's great news. If, if you fix your eyes on Jesus and you begin to make that part of your practice, then the second thing I want to share with you is that you need to fix your eyes on those who he's called you to serve. Remember what, what I told you, this, this word fix your eyes on Jesus is really the word focus your eyes on Jesus. And my heartfelt conviction is that if you focus your eyes on Jesus, you're going to see the world around you that he has called you to serve. And if you want to have hope in your life, you will spend time serving the kingdom. At the beginning of this chapter, look, Paul says this in, at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, do not lose heart. So what Paul is saying before he gets to 16, 17, and 18 is you've been given a ministry. And one of the reasons that you do not lose heart, verse 16, is because in verse 1 he says, don't lose heart because you have a ministry. We have work to do. Paul says that. And he says, if you do the work, you won't lose heart because you'll be focused on Jesus and the work that he wants you to do. Now listen, it's important for you to hear me say this. He's not talking 
about an organization. Uh, he's not talking about building this huge empire of, of a church. You know, I, I, I'm so thankful for the work that we've done in here, and I'm so thankful for the men and women who have helped us to do this work in here. But this is a building. Clint said that, and I'm so thankful. I mean, Clint and I didn't have this conversation, but at the very beginning, Clint said to you, this is just the building we meet in, but we are the church. The people who are sitting here this morning, we are the church. So we're, we're not talking about building an empire. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about an organization. We're talking about people. That's who we should be ministering to. We hopefully have made this building very friendly so that we can minister to the people who come into it. That's it. That's what we're building. That's why we don't preach about ourselves or we don't focus about ourselves. I, I hope, even though you hear me and I love to give personal illustrations that, that kind of, I think, mean so much to me, I hope you always understand that this is never about me or never about us. What we talk about is always about the kingdom and about what Christ wants. I get tickled when I, I have time with my friends because my friends kind of know I like to be personal with my illustrations. And so yesterday I was walking at 7.15 in the morning with a couple of friends that we like to go walk on Saturday morning sometimes. And we were out walking doing three, our three miles. That's all these bodies will take. And so we did our, our three-mile walk. And as we started walking, one of them always asked me this. But he started, we, we had just started walking, and he said, have you finished your sermon yet? And, I, and actually, when he, I, I usually say, yeah, I'm, I'm all done. But yesterday, because we'd spent a lot of time working in the sanctuary over this past week, I, I was about two-thirds done with my sermon. And so yesterday, I knew that after we finished walking, I was going to come up here, and I did. And I, I spent about four hours up here yesterday finishing out what I wanted to share with you this morning. And so he said to me, have you finished your sermon? I said, absolutely not. I said, I haven't. I said, as a matter of fact, after we get finished walking, go to breakfast, I'm going to go up to the church and, and, and kind of finish it out. And he didn't talk the rest of the time we walked. And I said, why aren't you saying anything? He says, because I know whatever I say may get used in your sermon. And he said, I'm not talking to you anymore. And I said, okay, I get it. I use personal illustrations sometimes too much. But listen, it, it's not about me and it's not about my illustrations or anything along those lines. It's always about Jesus Listen, the work that God has called you to do and has called me to do, it involves serving people. That's all there is to it. I, I can't make it any more plain than that. If you want to have hope, serve some people. Quit making it all about you. And I, I need to learn to quit making it all about me. Because I know when I serve people, that's when I, I find the most joy. You know, I, I've told you this for... So ever since I've been here, I mean, we've been trying to do mission trips and, and serve people in our community. And you probably have already figured this out because it's probably been the same for you too. 
But the last year, year and a half has been the hardest year or year and a half for me personally uh, that I've ever experienced. And you know why? Because we haven't been able to serve as many people as I want to serve because of the pandemic. I mean, we didn't get to do glory gang. We didn't get to put shoes on kids' feet. We didn't get to go to Jamaica. We didn't get to go to Ecuador. We didn't get to go to Laos. We, we haven't been anywhere. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, we still look for ways to serve people, and we were still serving people. We were serving the hospitals as best we could, and we were serving the police department. We were doing lots of things, and I've never been more proud of the church, but it's been a really hard year and a half for me, just as as it's been for you. I like what it says. Look look back in verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Before you get to verse 16, it says this in verse 12. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then look at verse 15. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that it is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. What's Paul saying to these people here? He's saying, get busy serving people. And if you get busy serving people, you're going to find the hope that you've been looking for. I thought about that when I got this email this week. It just, it just kind of, I just kind of went, oh my gosh. So Kevin and Lauren Glenn, who have stood here and shared with you and who are missionaries in Southeast Asia in Laos, he emailed me this. I just thought about them. I, I thought about how they live. Very simple lives, uh, away from everything. Uh, You understand. I I mean, I could go into a big description of how they have sacrificed to do what they're doing. But you understand living in a communist country that doesn't have all the things that we have, and you understand this. And they live, just as a little preparation before I I read this to you, they live in in a small village in the middle of kind of eastern Laos. Uh, for those guys who are my age, uh, you'll recognize this, uh, but they live only miles from the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Uh, when you uh, know uh, your history of the Vietnam War, you'll know about the Ho Chi Minh Trail. So. All that being said, the little village they live in, and this is pretty typical for uh, African countries, countries that are in Africa like Tanzania and Kenya and uh, Uganda. Uh, It's very typical for other places too, even when you go uh, to Jamaica and little places like that. Almost everybody has what you and I would term a mayor, but in, in African culture and Eastern, southeastern culture, they call it the chief. Uh, they call it the village chief. And we, every time we would go on, in Africa, in Kenya or, or Tanzania, if we would go to a small village, we would always go first and meet the village chief and tell him who we were, who we are, and what we were doing, and that we were just there to love on his people and, and try to help them. And kind of get his blessing. That's a very cultural thing to do. doesn't happen here in the States. You know, nobody goes and sees the mayor of Nacogdoches and says, I'm here to visit today and love on your people. It doesn't happen. But it does in other cultures. 
So the village chief is a big deal where Kevin and Lauren live. Listen to this. Kevin said this, hey, Bobby, we're having a real Elijah moment here, and I need your prayers and the prayers of your people. Our village chief, who is not altogether friendly toward outside beliefs, worldviews, or ideas, approached me yesterday after he was returning from the rice fields. He looked discouraged. So I asked him what was wrong, and he said to me, Kevin, we thought that the rains were coming, and so we planted all our rice, but there's been no rain, and we are in serious risk and danger of losing the entire crop that we've planted. And Kevin said, I didn't know what to say to him. So I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. I wish I could do something to help. And the village chief turned to Kevin and said, could you pray to your angel God and ask him to send rain? Kevin said, I will pray to my God. Now, if you don't know how scriptural this is, all you have to do is look at 1 Kings 18, 44 and see where these kinds of things have happened all through scripture. So listen to this. Kevin and Lauren said, we spent the next few hours asking God, please just send rain. God, would you please send rain? God, please send rain. Kevin and Lauren said they went to bed that night. And as they were laying down in their bed, they said, God, please send rain. And Kevin said, all of a sudden we heard a drop on the roof. And then another drop. And then another drop, and he said, all of a sudden, it was dropping and dropping. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, Lauren and I were in bed, and we were laughing, and we were crying, and we were thanking God. And he said, the rain was coming and coming and coming. He said, the rain didn't stop until the morning. It rained all night long. He said, I went out of my house, and as I was walking out of my house, the village chief was walking to the rice fields. And he said, I didn't know what to do. So I just looked at him and I said, was that enough rain for you? <laughs> I love that. He said, well, that was wonderful. Your God answered your prayers. And I said, this is Kevin speaking. He said, yes, he did. And he said, could you ask him again? And Kevin said, yes. We'll ask him again. And so Kevin has asked you and me to step in now. So if you don't get anything else out of what I've shared with you this morning, I hope that one of the things that you'll take home with you is that one of the ways that you can serve people and one of the ways that you can have hope is just by even saying a simple prayer to your God, will you please make it rain in Laos so that this village chief would know that the angel God that Kevin and Lauren worship is the same angel God that you and I worship, and he's the only one true living God. I got this verse that I want to share with you. It's just something that I feel like I need to close with because it just kind of, summarizes everything that I, I want you to, to hear about the, the whole series of countering the culture. 
This is the New Living Translation. And if you're going to write down a verse to just kind of summarize all 13 weeks, this is what I, I want it to be. Colossians 2.8 says this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. Rather, let Christ capture you. Let me read that to you again. Colossians 2, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather be captured by Christ. Boy, that's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for me, that we'll allow ourselves to be captured by Christ. Last thing. So a couple of times during this 13 weeks, I think I've mentioned, I know I have, I, I know I've mentioned how worried I am about my grandchildren and how worried I am about your children. And I've been scolded by a couple of you, rightfully so, that our God is bigger than anything that could harm our children or grandchildren. And apparently there's a youth minister in Arkansas that has kind of been hearing the same things, I guess you could say. I'm, I'm sure he's heard parents talk about their, their kids, and I'm sure he's heard grandparents talk about their grandkids. And he thought he would address it. And honestly, as I've been scolded by a couple of you, and I've tried to figure out how I would address it, I think he addressed it perfectly. And so I'm going to share with you what somebody shared with me, from this youth pastor in, in, in uh, Arkansas. Don't feel sorry or fear for your kids because the world they're growing up in is not what it used to be. God created them and he called them for this exact moment in time that they're in. Their life wasn't a coincidence or an accident. And this is what he says to you and to me. I'm taking this to heart for my grandkids now. I hope you'll take it to heart for your children and your grandchildren. Listen to what he says. Raise them up to know the power they walk in as the children of God. Train them up in the authority of his word. Teach them to walk in faith knowing that God is in control. Empower them to know that they can change the world. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but hopeful that they can do something about it. Every person in all of history, I love this, listen to this, every person in all of history has been placed in the time that they were placed in because of God's sovereign plan. Listen, Riker is two and a half years old because of God's sovereign plan. And your children are the exact age that they are because of God's sovereign plan. Listen to what he says here. He knew Daniel could handle the lion's den. He knew David could handle Goliath. He knew Esther could handle Haman. He knew that Peter could handle 
persecution, and he knows that your child can handle whatever challenge they face in their life. He created them specifically for that challenge. Don't be scared for your children, but be honored that God chose you to parent and grandparent the generation that is facing the biggest challenges of our lifetime. Rise up to the challenge. Raise Daniel's, raise David's, raise Esther's, and raise Peter's. God isn't scratching his head wondering what he's going to do with this mess of a world. He has an army. He's raising them up to drive back the darkness and make him known all over the earth. Don't let your fear steal the greatness that God has placed in them. I know it's hard to imagine them as anything besides your sweet little babies or grandbabies. And we just want to protect them from anything that could ever be hard on them. But your children and your grandchildren were born for such a time as this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's with firm conviction that you have said to us, and we believe with our hearts that you want us to focus our eyes on you. And you want us to be about the business of serving other people. And Father, even though sometimes it's our human nature for our heart to fear what lies ahead, we ask that you would make us not fearful of what's ahead because we have focused our eyes on you. Father, I believe with all my heart that you are raising up a generation to be David's and to be Peter's, to be Paul's. God, to be Esther's. You, you're raising boys and girls to be great men and women for the kingdom. Father, help us to parent them well. Help us to grandparent them well. Help us to help them put their focus on you. God, we are not afraid of who holds the future because we know that you hold the future. And because of that, Father, we know and we can sing with all our hearts of our praises to you because we know that this home is just a momentary place for us, that you're preparing eternity even as we speak. God, as we come now to this place where we can just spend some time in reflection of what you've been speaking to us today, we ask that you would open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit has said to us and how we should respond. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so thankful that you've been here this morning. I hope that you have been encouraged and felt the hope. Now is your opportunity to respond to that. In just a moment, Jason's going to lead us again as we just come together and worship the Lord. This is your chance to respond. Maybe you just need to pray where you are. Maybe you need to come to the front. You want to pray at the front here. Maybe you want to talk to someone about what it means to be a believer in Christ. I don't know what the Lord has placed on your heart, but I do know that he gives you the conviction and the power through the Holy Spirit to respond to him. And now's your chance to respond as we stand together and as we sing with Jason.
How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, oh Jesus Christ, my living. could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to bear my sin and bear my shame the cross cross has spoken, I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own, beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever, oh Jesus Christ, my living hope, oh hallelujah. Is the one who set me free, hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. The morning, then came the morning that still the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the sound.
thankful that God is your living hope. Let me share with you just a few things and then we have to do a, a quick business meeting that I promise won't last but just a second. But I want to share with you over the next few weeks we have some really exciting stuff that I hope you'll do everything within your power to be here for. So next Sunday we'll ordain six new deacons into our church uh, deacon ministry and that will be our morning service. Uh, we won't have a sermon per se uh, we're going to do several charges. Gary and Clint and I will charge these men as they enter into the deacon ministry. It'll be an exciting worship service for us. We'll worship and sing with Jason too if he's here, depending on baby timing. Uh, so for the next few weeks, we're just on complete baby watch. And so I may be leading the singing here, or no, honestly, Jenny may be leading the singing. So we're, we're on baby watch, so we're excited about that for them. So, But that's next Sunday is our plan, and then uh, that evening we'll have um, our time at Splash Kingdom. The church has rented Splash Kingdom for a couple of hours, so uh, we'll have that, that opportunity there. And then the following Sunday uh, we'll dedicate, no, no, sorry, sorry. The next Sunday we'll celebrate Clint, and Clint is graduating with his master's degree in uh, theology. Uh, so on the 8th, we'll celebrate Clint graduating. And then on the 15th, we will celebrate the building and rededicating the building. So lots of incredible fun things coming up. And then the next Sunday after that, the 22nd or 23rd, whatever it is, that's when the college students will be here, be back in town. So lots of wonderful things that I'm all excited about. Hannah, will you come up here? We need to just do a really short business meeting. Uh, most of you are aware that Krista Davis uh, is leaving the position of children's ministry. Gary and her have um, uh, walked themselves into the foster adoption process, and they are very close uh, to being ready to uh, be able to foster and hopefully adopt one, maybe two children. Gary and Krista aren't here this morning. They had some commitments, BSM commitments up in the Dallas area. So they're out of town today. They'll be back with us next week. And August the 1st will be Krista's last Sunday with us, uh, which is next Sunday. And the elders in, uh, have come together and have visited with Hannah and asked Hannah if she would consider to become our next children's minister. And we have 
worked through her resume, called her references, talked to multiple people, and listened to her testimony and her heart and desire to be our children's minister. And we are overwhelmed by God's goodness and grace that he has sent us, Hannah, uh, to want to become our next children's minister. So starting August the 1st, we're going to ask Hannah to be our children's minister, and we need to vote on that happening as a congregation. So we're going to do that right now. We're going to consider ourselves into just a short family meeting, and the motion will be that Hannah Ramsey becomes our next children's minister beginning on August the 1st. So I need somebody who would make that motion. David, Norman will do that, and Greg, can I let you do the second? Greg Hudson will be our second. And uh, this will allow uh, Hannah to become our next children's minister. Does anybody have any questions uh, that you want to, you can't ask me, you can ask Hannah whatever you want to ask her, but you can ask me too, anything that you need to ask. She's gone through the whole, did I just lose, there's my mic, gone through the whole process with the elders and the deacons uh, have been informed and so she's been through the whole process. So uh, my batteries are shortening out on me, so we're getting ready. So by nobody having any questions, which I didn't expect that you would, we'll just go ahead and vote. So all those in favor of Hannah becoming our next children's minister, would you say amen? Amen. Is anybody opposed to that? Wow. You did better than me. Good for you. Congratulations. I hope you get to know Hannah and her husband, Nathan, and their children. Just a wonderful family. We could not be more thrilled that she will take this position for us. Sad to lose Krista, but isn't it good how faithful God is to us to bring somebody like Hannah. So we're thankful for that. Thank you. So as always, my prayer for you is that the Lord would bless you and that he would keep you and that he would cause his face to shine upon you. I hope you have a wonderful week and I cannot wait to see you back here again Wednesday and next Sunday. Bye-bye. You're dismissed.